Today's podcast, Pass for our NDA Meets series, is a two-header. I'm joined by Dean Weaving, Head of Display, Video and Social at Deliveroo, and Adit Abiyanka, CEO at Ablib.io. So, Dean and Adit, great to meet you. Thanks for joining us on the NDA podcast. So, I think probably the easiest way, you've been working together for a while now, and there's been some quite amazing results from, from the campaign together. So, why don't we kick off and you tell me exactly how you started working together. Dean, I mean, I guess from you, let's, let's hear a bit about the background of this relationship and how, how it kicked off in the first place. Yeah, sure. So um, I remember starting a delivery and we were spending a lot of time looking at technology and, and areas of success. And one of the things that was quite obvious was that the way that we needed to speak to our customers was very directly. Um, and and so you said earlier in the title, and from a hyper-local perspective, and had a look at the market and sadly, having been in this industry for, for way longer than I thought it would be, um, had quite a good view of it. Um, and then started speaking to the guys at AdLib and, and it was quite clear that the the things that they were looking to do and the solution they were looking to prov- uh, solutions they were looking to provide were very much uh, in the in the sort of ballpark of the things that we needed. So we started having a dialogue, having a conversation, sharing ideas. And next thing I know, I was rushing a contract for procurement um, and, and we were ready to go. Um, and again, I think since then, it's just been really exciting with starting to look at different things we can we can test and, and, and different ways that our business has obviously matured and, and so has theirs. And, and hopefully we can we can dig into some of those examples later on. Excellent. So we'll go in a second, Dardy, and talk about Adlib and exactly what you do. But, but Dean, hyper-local, I guess the last couple of years is almost two years now. We see all brands look at local much more than they once did. And we're all living more locally and life's got a more local you know, slant generally, but what was the what was the impetus for you to look at local advertising, hyper local advertising more? I think it's really important that um, the different restaurants you're offered and the different consumer experience you're offered is based on where you are, right? So, I could be on one side of the river or the other side of the river, and, and it's quite obvious that there's different restaurants in in those places, right? So, it's really important that if if I'm trying to engage and speak to my consumer, I need to be telling them about products that they can buy. Um, rather than products they can't buy. Um, so I think when we looked at it, it was it was relatively clear that when we think about being hyper local, it had to it had to have value, right? We can't just say like, "Hey, welcome to Walthamstow by Deliveroo." Like it had to have so much more to it. And, and I was actually looking through some of the examples um, for our Sprint City campaign that I'm hopefully we can speak about later. And just like even like in the Manchester area, like all these different sub areas of Manchester, then the the areas of sub areas of those areas. And you end up building literally thousands upon thousands of creatives, and they're all showcasing different restaurants, different logos, sometimes different CTAs, different promotions. Um, and it allows us to have that really sort of direct-to-consumer relationship where hopefully we're telling them the restaurants that they can buy or sometimes even the restaurants that are like the restaurants they could buy as well, which uh, which is super interesting as well. Yeah, I love that. I guess locals often see it as local advertising, and that's it, whereas it's, it's local and local and local and local. But let's start it. Let's, let's hear from you. So, I mean, I guess for people that don't know the company, what exactly do you do? Very simply, what AdLib is about is we're a technology platform. And what we're trying to do is to help brands do much better creative on digital. So the high level is how do you make your creative more effective? Now, the levers that we pull are levers that basically sit between creative and media workflows. So when we think about what AdLib is doing, we're looking at the full cycle from as a central team, like in in deals organization, how does he manage the production and execution of hundreds, if not thousands of different creative while maintaining 
making sure that it's still on brand, right? And how do you scale that around the world? How do you how do you automate the production of this creative? Because that traditionally has been a very manual task. And so how do you use technology to scale the actual creation of all these different ads? Then you have the topic of relevance, which is how can I take real-time contextual information, uh, either about my audience or their location or their time of day. In the case of delivery, you might be, you might be you know, promoting different kinds of restaurants for lunch than for dinner. So there are many different uh, signals that you can use to make ads more relevant. Um, then you think about the process of agility, which is how fast can you move? You know, tomorrow, if there's a lockdown and everyone starts ordering delivery 3x more than they did again, how quickly can Dean's organization react to that? You know, and suddenly put out uh, even more uh, relevant ads. And then finally, you have the idea of creative learning and analytics, which is that, you know, the more granular, granular you make these ads, the more data you capture about what exactly resonates with different types of audiences, or even in Dean's uh, case, in specific uh, uh, hyperlocal zones. And based on that, you can start to make changes to the creative. So if you think about really the solutions, that's what AdLib is about. Okay. Well, I guess, like you say, it's hundreds, if not thousands, of different creative executions. And Dean, that's sort of terrifying to to, to many to, to many people, many brands, many agencies. When you start, you know, one creative often can take months, if, you know, if not longer, to get off the ground. So, how how this has this process been? And and were you terrified when the thought of hundreds of different creatives raised its head? Um, terrified. In a way, I mean, we have a very talented uh, studio team here who ha- are very much in love with their brand guidelines. So it was also like a, a process where we had to build trust, not just across like our digital, but also within our studio. Um, and I was actually chatting to the, the director of that studio uh, last week, and she was speaking about how much trust she now, ha- now has in the, the AdLib team, where I think they went out and, and they became more creative and, and hired some really, really experienced and some valuable talent. Um, so it's not just about the technology as well. Like we lean on them for a number of different things around like the way that the creative is being rendered and, and the different the different um, ways in which they can utilize our brand platform and, and bring it to life. I think actually where I think very often when we think about dynamic creative platforms, we often just think about throwing some assets and some CTAs and some logos. But actually with AdLib, they very much came on the creative journey with us and and. I think they've matured in the same way we have as well as like an organization. And, and they, they actually stole someone from our brand team as well, which was very helpful, I have to say. <laughs> um, but um, that's actually worked out in everyone's favor because it allows them to have a really deep knowledge of us as well. Um, and I, I like to think that comes out in the creative execution. Okay, let's talk about the creative execution and what happened. You mentioned uh, you know, Sprint City campaigns, different campaigns. So what was the what are the fruits of, the, of this partnership? Um, first. Yeah, I think I think we often go to them and we we say, hey, we, we need to speak to people hyper locally. Um, here's a load of postcodes and, and some logos and make it happen. And actually, if you speak to anyone within that process who probably isn't as in and out as I am, like there's a lot of effort and work that goes into it. And there's a lot of collaboration. All the majority of that collaboration happens across the platform as well, which I think really gives ease of use and, and in our ability to make sure that all of our stakeholders are involved. Um because what often tends to happen is we try and follow the, the brand guidelines that are set, but actually what tends to happen is there's a level of flair that comes with that as well, right? Like I'm, I must admit, I'm not creative in, in any way or form, but what tends to happen is lots of different people have lots of ideas and people have an expectation when they build these brand guidelines of what they think creative should look like. 
So then we go through that process, right? Like we go back and forth, we we build multiple different concepts. Those concepts then become uh, campaigns. We, we walk through the wireframes and, and the different CTAs. And I think for us, the T's and C's is always a fun one, especially when you start to look at our um, our on-demand grocery stuff, like the, the little thing pops up and goes back. And that went back and forth for a couple of weeks as well. So it's a, it's an, it's a process where I think we, we went into it very much as a technology business thinking, here's our, here's our XML feed, um, let us know when it's done. And then we probably used more creative hours than technology hours because the technology was there to do that job. And actually what we needed was people to sign things off and agree on things, um, which the platform also enabled. And what are some of the, the, the actual campaigns that came out of it? You can tell us sort of what. Oh, wow. Of um, I mean, we, 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 I think as with a lot of in-housing clients, we, we often think that uh, DR is our bread and butter and we're going to go straight to making sure that uh, we can sell orders and, and food to people. But as I said earlier, it's it's really interesting. I was literally just flicking through the, the concepts and we've been on this journey with AdLib where we started with hyperlocal and, and that was just about making sure that when we're trying to um, engage with new customers, they, they're aware of, of what was what was available to them. And then we just got into lots of different things. Like we when we launched on-demand groceries, like there was an, uh, what we called an ODC campaign. And then there was the Sprint Cities work. And I just look, I was just looking at the Christmas campaign where we actually have a hyper-local dynamic Christmas campaign where it's pulling in different restaurants from uh, for different partners with uh, snow falling in. And then it's got a different CTA for, for each type of um, each type of restaurant, like for, uh, I probably shouldn't name any restaurants, but for different types of restaurants. And then after that, I've just looked at, there's a new iteration of the ODC campaign as well, where it's pulling in things like for Boots, and for Co-op and for Sainsbury's and for Waitrose. So where historically that was just a, like a, a, a spin-off of what was the hyperlocal campaign. Now it's its own campaign with its own iterations, with its own with own feeds and its own creative feel. So I like to think that they've been on this journey with us, like as our business has grown and has created different iterations and, and had different requirements, their technology and their and their um, their account staff have, have done the exact same thing with us, which is which is really nice. Oh dear, how's it been for you? And so what I like is that doing you know, hyperlocal at scale, and that's the issue often that comes up when people are talking about hyperlocal. Does it scale? So how's that process been? How's that process been with Dean? Yeah, exactly. I think Dean has said it right, which is that we've also been on a journey with with Deliveroo to understand. You know, hyperlocal means something completely different for Deliveroo than it does for some of our other customers. You know, that do not have the ability to sell such personalized products you know they you know if we look at some of our cpg customers and those for them uh sort of what localization personalization might mean is more you know i have a product that i'm selling in 150 different countries and you know um culturally or maybe the packaging is different so so personalization means different things to different companies like for a travel agency or for for some of our travel customers what they're doing is they're actually putting in all the different uh, you know, destinations you could be going to and using that to personalize the creative to the audience. So I think with, with delivery, what was really interesting for us is just the level of granularity um, kind of pushed us in, a, in, in new directions in terms of the technology and then understanding what is the role that creative can play in a very DR-oriented company was also an, a really interesting one. So for us, hyperlocal, it, you know, at, at the end, it's more about just uh, processing the data in a way um, you know, so the great thing about having technology there is at some level, whether it's, you know, 100,000 different lines or 10 different lines, the technology is doing the processing. But the key is to make sure that 
you're you're doing things that make sense for the audience, make sense for the customer. You're not just putting variations of creative out there that you know will get two and five different impressions. So you know the thinking that goes behind what kind of personalization makes sense for in a specific use case is really the key. Love the way you talk about the customer there, because that's what what to talk about next. And we see this all the time when it comes to personalization. Reports come out saying CMO is now pulling back from personalization. Once seems a civil bullet and there's issues. Is it is it too creepy, too much personalization, too much localization? I mean, Dean, in terms of the what you're delivering to the consumer and their feedback, really, how well is this is this playing? How much do, do your customers really want totally personalized, hyper-local advertising? I, I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that they do. I think it's important that we we don't showcase restaurants that they can't order from, um, especially when like we we have so many key partners. It's it's obviously important that we don't say, "Hey, you can get this," and, and actually you can't. So, I think for us, it's it's more about making sure they are aware of the variety of things that they could order, um, and then making sure that we can showcase that. Um, I mean, I'm I'm of the same opinion where I don't think I'd like to say, "Hey, Dean." hope you enjoyed that curry last night maybe order it again for lunch i think i think that's a little bit too much um you spoke earlier about um the ability to do more contextual stuff as well like i think trying to get relevance outside of data that's directly available to us as well is something that's that's really important and one of the things that we're actually working with the the guys at um adlib on is like trying to get into other spaces as well so as we start to look at things like connected tv and like where we know that there's like things like samsung and, and roku and those guys like I actually think there's a lot more we can do in those spaces where um, whether it be like the segmentation that's available from the manufacturers or the, or the programming stuff. Like I think that's a bit more fun where we could probably do different types of creative for entertainment and for documentary and, and things like that and start to use more persona driven dynamic creative rather than like, Hey, like we think that you've ordered burgers for the burgers. Cause I mean, that's not much funny though, right? Uh, yeah, that is fascinating. I think both of you are saying, it, although it is, it's sort of the hottest area, it's often quite blunt, as you say, you've ordered burgers, all small burgers. But yeah. I love the way you talk about different platforms, Dean. I mean, are, what are you seeing in terms of the possibilities for, for hyperlocal, for personalization across platforms like CTV and potentially even, you know, in digital out of home? Or... Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the ability to personalize depends on what those platforms allow in terms of uh, the signals and, you know, whether that's audience or personal signals or contextual signals around you know, um, the context of the audience at the time. And, you know, our platform is designed to take those signals and use them if they're available. So we're branching out um, and extending our platform into CTV platforms and others. We already work on YouTube and video. We're working with, um, you know, Facebook. We're working with Snap. We're working with a number of different partners. So that's a constantly evolving thing, as you can imagine, as the platforms themselves proliferate. Um, but, you know, at the end, I think good advertising drives utility to the end consumer. It's useful, right? And I think that's probably what Dean is trying to say when he says, you know, you don't want to show an ad that you can't buy a product from. That doesn't have any utility. So there's a certain level of, of uh, relevance that you want to drive in your advertising in a way that the consumer will, will, will recognize as being more useful to them and not as something that is, that is creepy or, you know, um, unreasonably um, using data that they they didn't give access to. And that's not what we do. And, you know, the other thing we think about is when you think about personalization, there's a media lever, which is trying to get data from the media side and trying to understand exactly who the consumer is. But you don't really need that. You can personalize your creative anyway, right? You can, you can, you can, creative is almost a different uh, lever to do personalization. And um, you can either use audience-based signals or you can use contextual and other signals that basically don't take any data from the consumer at all. That's an interesting point. And Dean, 
because obviously we've got these big macro changes happening with the deprecation of third-party cookies and a, a, a much heightened focus on first-party data, data sorry, by brands across the board. So what are you seeing there, Dean, in terms of, you know, the, the different signals available to you and, you know, issues around third-party going away, focus more on first-party, but how, how do they sort of macro issues play into your thinking? Yeah, I mean, we're trying to work with scaled publishers as much as possible to do like first party data matching with the likes of InfoSum. So I like to think that we're trying to push the boundaries of that sort of work. So like having direct relationship with Channel 4, ITV, I was chatting to the team uh, in Italy of a media set around like doing stuff there as well. So as I said earlier, like we've tried to branch out and, and grow with AdLib. And, and I think that um, we initially started this relationship, I think it was 2019 with one market. We're now like pushing up to five or six. Um, and trying to then push into different different um, media areas as well. So I think as we start to branch out, I think it's going to come naturally that like we try and invest more in places where we know that our data is strong. I mean, we obviously have a, a, a wealth of first-party data, but we can only activate it and, and use it based on GDPR compliance and, and iOS 14 and, and everything else that lives alongside it. But I think what we need to make sure we do is that when we are able to activate it in a safe and compliant way, that we bring creative on that journey. What I've seen throughout my career is that people often talk about mapping and, and, and matching data for data's sake, but there's no point having two different, like building four different segments, but serving everyone the same creative, right? Like it's just a waste of time. So if anything, the creative and the way that we want to speak to consumers has to come first, and then we can make sure that we have the data to support that after. We're going to talk about the results you've seen, which are pretty impressive from, from, from what, I've, what I've been shown. But first, is there any... Is there any reason at all why any brand should now be doing what you're doing, investing in hyperlocal? It seems that uh, we've seen incredible results from people like Liberu and KFC and all sorts of brands that are really sort of delivering incredible, effective hyperlocal marketing. So why is there an argument at all for any brand not to be doing this? I can't see why there is. Ardit? Yeah, I mean, you know, part of it is just you have to, as, as Dean said, there's a there's there's a journey in th- rethinking what is possible and how you can get your teams to collaborate across creative and media silos. You know, um, over the past 15, 20 years, the silo between media and creative have gotten further and further from each other. And what this process is doing when you're trying to do hyperlocal or you're trying to do personalized creative, you have to bring creative and media much closer to each other. And you have to change sometimes the ways in which people work. So it's not a question of should it, should all brands be doing it? The answer to that is clearly yes. The, the real question is why aren't they doing it? And there are good reasons for why they're not doing it. You know, I think those reasons are around the, those ways of working and and um, people seeing that that value, seeing, you know, being convinced that it's worth investing in changing the ways you work so that you can become much more agile and you can do these things. So that would be, I think people, you know, I think we're going to see more and more brands doing it once the friction and complexity of executing goes down. I mean, Dean, how did you get over those hurdles and how did you change the way you work? And again, I mean, should marketers listening to this be scared of this anymore? I think there needs to be a reason that you need to speak more directly to consumers, right? I think you need to have like localized services or a product that, you know, speaks to a certain type of audience. And I, and I think for us, like we, we have all of those things, like the locality and specifics and, and different types of consumers, right? Like the last thing you want to be doing is um, serving a posh wine shop to a, a student, right? To a certain point. I mean, unless they're very rich students, then maybe actually our segmentation's spot on. Um, but actually, I, I think just making sure that you can deliver, you have the right reason, I think, to deliver the right message. 
Um, we often speak about the right message at the right time, but I think the right reason behind that is, is actually the most important thing. And I think for, for, for our business, it's very obvious that actually when we speak to people in, with the right mindset, with the right product, like it, it, it obviously adds a lot of value. How do you change the way you work? And I was talking about the importance of changing the way you work and bringing media creators together. You know, delivery, was there a change in working practices or, or what? I think I think it happened naturally. Um, I've, I've been I've been interviewing a few people from from my team recently, and and I keep asking about creative because I am the least creative person I think um, I've ever met in media. Um, but I'm very lucky that I have an exceptionally talented team, and, and there's a, a young a young person in my team who has like sort of grown into that role. And if anything now sits like a hybrid between our studio team and, and my media buying team, because actually she's able to express the requirements of the, of the brand templates and, and the, uh, and the brand plan, whilst also being able to understand fully like what that means for our feeds and how we execute that. And then sort of work as a project manager to a certain point to keep everyone involved. So she now semi straddles across teams uh, and, and is like the, like the, the, the ringleader for all things that are digital creative. So, what I've realized and from my career, I guess, is that we never really sat in rooms with creative people. We just we just got ads sent to, to ad servers and sort of made sure they were served and, and never really thought too much about it. But actually now, like it's so important that we're part of those conversations, be that for making sure that we have the right shots or or actually that we just have the right influence on those people. And I think what I've seen in Deliveroo is studio is an exceptionally talented team that we would often have to ask permission for. But now actually, if anything, they are they have a lot of belief in that in our team and, and how we express their brand guidelines and if anything have, have sort of portrayed that trust so we can go away and have conversations and, and get more markets on board and, and try new different creative templates so um what probably would have felt like a silo maybe a couple of years ago now just feels like a like a, a grouped conversation okay amazing well let's talk about the results of this activity as i say what just the ones i've seen have been pretty pretty impressive so um i'll just let's start with you What's happened? What have been the results? How well has this worked? Well, actually, I'm going to let Dean talk about the results uh, for Deliveroo himself. Um, I think that would be more more appropriate. But I think from from my perspective, what we see is that relevance works across our customer base. It's been proven. There are McKinsey studies, all kinds of things. Um, and what's interesting is that it's not simply something that can drive performance for, you know, if you're trying to drive a sale, you're trying to drive a conversion. We also see that um, relevance improves kind of performance at the at the consideration stage you know when customers might still be in a in a longer term consideration of a purchase that takes multiple touches you know like if you're you're buying a car or you're looking for a you know washing machine or any of those kinds of products where you're not just going to make a decision in a second that is when you you know communicating in a more relevant way shortens the cycles and we see that in the proxies that we measure in terms of all the engagement metrics that you can measure but then we've also done joint studies with customers where they see if that relevance on the campaign drives an in-store effect, you know, even if it's not directly connected to the ad. And um, for example, we did a case study with Nestle where they were able to show that more personalized creative was able to actually drive, I think it was a 2% in-store sales lift. So I think in that sense, there is uh, uh, now an increasing body of evidence, but I'll let Dean uh, answer the question as it relates to Deliveroo specifically. Great team. Yeah, what have you seen in terms of real results? I mean, we obviously look at, across the funnel. So I think trying to make sure that when we we look at different types of uh, the creative that we're serving, um, that actually we're, we're having an influence across. But obviously, 
we've seen we've seen an increase in new customers we've seen an increase in returning orders and we've obviously seen an increase generally on, on our ability to drive people to the delivery site and to the app as well so um i think very generically what we've seen is that the the more we speak directly to our consumers with things that we know that they're interested in um and things that are available to them like we we can quite obviously see that the the uplift is there um as we look at the the holdout groups that are available to us and, and which we use within within the platform as well um i actually don't have the numbers uh, directly in front of me which is quite a shame um but i, I know from from um from looking at the last set um that the increase was like i think i can't remember was it three four five six x i can't even remember now um but um we, we have obvious improvement there which um we also want to continue learning on from as well right so i think the other thing that we we're very keen on is trying to understand that it's great that we are able to show that this this level of personalization is working for us and the, the current iterations of our creative are adding value both to the, the top and the bottom of the funnel. Um, but we're all working together to make sure that we can continue to improve because actually we think that we've only just started on this journey as well. Okay. So a couple of stats I've got here I wanted to dig into that our partnership let you serve 30% more impressions in, in priority zones. And also that... You've got achieved a CTR that's 2,877% better than benchmarks, which just seems incredible results. I mean, how, how do they sort of strike you? Are they uh, one-offs or is that really what the partnership is going to be in long term? I mean, for me, that's that's that what that's what happens when you when you do personalization well, right? When we I mean, we're very lucky at delivery where we have good segmentation and a good ability to understand who our consumers are, um, and also good media planners and strategists as well who understand the types of people that we want. Um, but we also need the tools that allow that. I mean, I was just looking in the platform a minute ago and our ability to go in and, and just quite simply turn off parts of the part, different creatives in different places that we know aren't working. So, for example, if we know that um, Five Guys isn't working particularly well in Birmingham, for, for example, or whatever it would be, I probably shouldn't name restaurants. Um, like our ability to go in and just turn things off and wait things up, it's, it's, it's very streamlined as well. So it's also the ability for the technology and the platform to allow us to do the things that uh, enable us to create those results, right? Um, which, which, is, which is all part and parcel of, of the relationship. And how much you mentioned the it's quite quite funny seeing you sort of accessing, accessing the system as we're talking. But how, in terms of you going turn this off, turn stuff on, how well do reactions to real world events play out? So I guess we've had the pandemic and that was a big macro event. But in terms of how you react to something a stupid example, something on TV that a big TV show or things that happen, how how does that impact what you can so, do? Uh, a real world example, and, and I probably should run this past people before I start to speak about it. But we we were lucky enough to to sign boots in in a certain number of uh, locations. Um, and at the time, we had just finished the uh, concept for our um, multiple vendor ODC uh, ODC um, uh, concept, um, on demand grocery concept. So like instantly, it was like, well, why don't we throw boots in there? And have a look at how that works but then that means we need to update the feed make sure we have the right radiuses for those locations make sure it only serves in the locations where we're allowed to um but what what the platform enabled us was to be very very quick and very very reactive so when we knew that that commercial contract was released we could go in have that conversation with adam and say like hey like we can get the logos we can get the we can get the signage we can get the photos pretty quickly to you like how quickly before we can add this into the feed um and like being able to do that very, very quickly um, is very, very helpful rather than having to phone studio and be like, hey, I know we've signed boots. Um, can I get some creative built? They're like, no. Um, so, yeah. So like um, that, that's, that's no disrespect to the studio, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the, the ability to, to sort of find out new things and, and flex and make changes like is, is incredible. So, I mean, this idea, of, I guess it's real time marketing. So we talked about 
since the dawn of time, really. But it's, now it's happening. Real-time marketing, the ability to react to other contextual events, such as I say, in new partnerships like Dean Outlines or something that happens on a TV show that may, may sort of really be relevant to your brand. How's real-time marketing developing in this hyper-local, hyper-local context? Yeah, I think, you know, we're definitely seeing that, right? We're seeing um, in, in many different categories, there's that need where, uh, you know, essentially time is money, right? If you can get your promotion or offer out, especially in time-sensitive context, um, you know, we have customers, for example, that need to release a product by a certain date because there's a broader release that is happening and you, everything needs to be synchronized. It needs to go out on time. So uh, this idea of a real-time campaign is very much, I think, uh, people are paying attention to that. But um, as we mentioned a little earlier, it's a bit of a journey because as Dean said, you know, you've got to get different parts of the organization um, working together and you need to think about who's that linchpin. How do you define a person that can look across the different pieces, whether it's creative execution or or, uh, segment building in the media platforms and understand how you put those two things together super fast to, to execute a campaign. But we certainly see that from a technology perspective, from just the ability to do this, a lot of the pieces are now there. You know, back in the day when you looked at uh, personalization or DCO, as it, you know, it's often referred to, it was it was a media centric value proposition. It was actually invented by media people uh, with 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 the idea that I can target people in a very specific way. Why don't I bring creative? But the creative people were not really brought along on the journey, and that was the uh, that was the opportunity that AdLib saw is that the only way to really do this and make it. Um, a seamless process is it has to be a collaborative platform where creative people are in there and media people are in there and uh, both sides can reach into the other person's world and see what's going on. And so as Dean mentioned, he can go into the platform and look directly at what is happening with the, the concepts that are getting briefed with, you know, what the creative people are doing. And similarly, his, his studio team can go right into the platform and see exactly how the creative is being executed in the media platforms um, in every single location that, uh, you know, delivery is running creative. So that that knowledge, that ability to reach into each other's world allows you to build that collaboration, allows you to, you know, just reduce the friction in doing this kind of real-time marketing as you're describing. And that's coming through really strongly, this idea of getting, getting creative on board, I guess, really. And I think over the last 20 years, which we've seen so often the rise of new technologies that creativity doesn't really feel comfortable with and take some time to get on board. I mean, Dean, you, you alluded to, you know, how your studio now is so important and how, you know, they trust you more and vice versa. But how are you seeing the change between the, uh, you know, the creative industry, creative's ability to take on board these new technologies and see, and see what they can do with them? Yeah, I mean, I've I've worked in media, God, I think nearly 15 years, cracky. Um, and I think I've been to a creative agency twice in my whole career. Wow. Um, which is quite scary when you look at some of the accounts I've worked on. Um, but then I remember um, a couple of weeks ago, like the the, the studio lead put, put time in my diary to talk me, talk me through the latest iteration of the brand guidelines because she genuinely wanted my opinion. And I was not sure what to say. I was like, um, luckily enough, I brought my team on the board and they had loads of questions and answers. But I was dumbfounded. I was like, oh, my God, they 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 want me to give them feedback. Um and maybe that's just their opinion of me and that they thought I would add value, but actually my team did, which was very lucky. But I think for me, like it was a real, um, like, like a sort of, like a, like a, it struck me as a moment. I was like, okay, cool. Like this is, we're here. Like this is really like where we're going to start to do like truly integrated like digital, like creative planning. And they want us to come on the journey, but they, I think it's not about coming on the journey. Like they want us to be part of the journey and, and like 
get a ticket and get on board and, and be fully invested. And, and I don't know if that's because I'm lucky enough to work with some some great communicators and some talented people, or maybe this has happened across other businesses. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was really um, something that really struck me as like a sort of turntail moment. I was like, okay, cool. Like this is this is this is where we're heading now. What do you think sparked that? As you say, it could be you know, the great people, could be you being great, or but you know, how did that happen? Especially I'd be really, really sad and say it was actually Adlib because because they were able to sort of be the be the pivotal moment where they were like, oh, because because we, we sort of signed that contract with these guys and, and only sort of told our studio team at the last minute, like, hey, like we're going to onboard this platform, um, we're going to test it, like let us know if you've got any problems, and they had their own things going on, so they weren't too worried at the time. And then as we sent them more and more and more creatives, they're like, oh, okay, we need to get involved a bit more. Um, and then they sort of came on the journey with us in the end and, and were, were, were part of the discussion. And I think sometimes they Adlib have calls with our studio without us involved as well, which, which is also pretty cool because it means we don't have to be involved in every conversation. So um, I think it was a partnership melded by technology, um, I think, and maybe creative genius as well, but, but not on my part. Nice phrase. I mean, you must see this all, all the time, Mark, and in terms of how the, the, the two sides of the industry are coming close together. It's lovely Dean describing it through through you, but I guess tech platforms are often the way the two sides can come together. That's right. I think that's exactly it. It's it's almost like a catalyst, right? It's it 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 creates a raison d'etre for different types of people to work together. And if you look at, you know, what Google did with Google Docs or, or Google Sheets or those kinds of things, you know, there were small features at the time that nobody really cared about. But then once you realize, oh my God, you know, like I can, I can, I can really work on this together um, and get feedback. And through that feedback, I can get better. And, you know, you just, it, it opens up a lot more possibilities. So yeah, the way I look at it is that technology is a catalyst to get people to work in, in different ways, you know, in more efficient ways. And that's basically what, what we're trying to do here. So there's one part of it is the automation and what technology can do to kind of take signals and automate production. But the other really key part of it is the workflow. And that's getting, you know, all the different stakeholders to work together. It's not just creative and media, as Dean mentioned, you know, there's, there's compliance and there's legal and, you know, we're working with uh, customers in consumer health, for example, where, you know, you have regulatory um, things and, and, you know, in, in the sort of non-adlib world, those processes sometimes can take three, four months to get it through some of those uh, regulatory and legal and compliance. And here we can do it in, you know, basically a matter of minutes. And so I think really it's about, um, you know, uh, Kind of moving on to uh, what technology is able to do now, and kind of reorganizing the ways of working to to adapt to that possibility. And so, you know, like just taking that other example, where if you can pre-think about what are the things that are likely to cause regulation or likely to cause compliance to block it, think of that ahead of time, get approval for that ahead of time, and then only allow the creative to change in the areas that you know are not going to affect legal or compliance. Then all of a sudden you've created a dynamic where you can create new ads without needing to con constantly, you know, go through the whole approval cycle over and over again. So I think there are many things like that 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 streamline this whole process. So we're sort of coming to the end of time. So let's talk about the future briefly. What does the future hold? You know, for hyperlocal, for Deliveroo, for, for your partnership, Dean. What 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 are you most looking forward to? What's coming up? I think it's going to be about utilizing the different parts of our business where that we're excited so like i'd love to do like an additions version of a dynamic creative so where we have different additions kitchens showcasing different types of restaurants i think that's gonna be pretty cool um 
there's some interesting stuff that goes on around like our partner restaurants. So we currently have a template where we showcase top nine restaurants where we do like co-funded types of advertising. And I think someone, there was a UK uh, business meeting recently where someone went, why don't we just do top 50? I was like, okay, cool. I mean, the platform can handle it. So that's actually not a problem if we've got everything we need. So that was quite interesting as well. Um, and then like, I'll, I'll always harp on about like how we start to do more fun in TV, but like, taking the ad lib approach into like addressable TV. So like maybe like there's some smaller markets we can test in, but like doing addressable TV in Belgium, for example, like how we have, they have no creative budget at all. So I think like testing ad lib on like, Hey, we haven't got any money. Um, how do, how do we do this? Um, and then bringing that to the table as well. Like there's, there's expansion generally, but I think um, that's the way to go. Like, especially in markets where we don't really want to invest in sort of hardcore, like linear TV, like even things like dynamic uh digital at home in the UAE and things like that. Like, I think, I think we've got a relationship now where we, they're happy for me to come to them with ideas and, and, and walk away and, and hopefully they'll build solutions. Excellent. So Arthur, what does the future hold for you in this, this partnership or just general, you know? Yeah, no, I think no. Dean hit it on the head. We're, we're expanding more into more channels, uh, specifically in, um, in video, whether that's uh, connected TV or YouTube or wherever it might be. So that's a key. Um, it's something we already do, but we, we, we're going to be doing a lot more there. Um, another key area that we're expanding into is just um, continuing to work on the creative analytics side, which is drawing more and more insight, not just into um, you know, uh, what images work better or what colors work better, but we can even now look at specific design. You know, we can help, um, we, can, we can use analytics to try and help uh, Dean and, and companies like Deliveroo understand how does their brand affect performance? And that's always been an open question is, you know, do my brand guidelines help or are my brand guidelines hurting? You know, is the font size the right size for what I'm trying to do on this mobile platform, right? Or is it too big? Is it too small? And there's a lot of these kind of design analytics almost that we're working on that you can uh, we, that you can get a lot of insight on using machine learning and using other uh, techniques like that. So I think that's another key area for us. Um, and then, you know, for us, again, the key is to uh, continue to work on the scale and automation of the platform so that, you know, as, as uh, we move to, you know, five, if we're in five markets today, as delivery grows and as we keep growing, we can manage, you know, uh, 15, 20, 30 markets with as much efficiency as we're managing two or five. Amazing. Well, we're sort of out of time. So thank you both so much. I think it's just great seeing Hyperlocal really delivering amazing results from what's been talked about and great partnership with you. So thank you so much for your time, Matthew. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. And thanks, Dean, for joining us.